When I was 10 years old, I got to take the greatest trip of my life up until then. Honestly, I had never been outside of the city limits of St. Louis until I was 10. My cousin from California showed up and his two younger children and his wife, and they stayed, visited with us for a while and surprised me and said, hey, you want to go hang out with, out with us in Southern California? So I spent six weeks out there. First, there was the drive and getting to see things I never, of course, had seen before, the Grand Canyon that painted de- desert, the petrified forest, all of that stuff. But getting out to California, uh, one of my highlights was going to Disneyland, not Disney World. Disney World wasn't even thought of yet. I still like Disneyland better, okay? Smaller, all of that. But uh, anyway... Uh, I went to Disneyland, and I was wide. I'm 10 years old, you know, wide-eyed, just filled with wonder at this place. And, you know, uh, they have different parts of the park, and one of the parts is Tomorrowland. And it's supposed to be futuristic, right, picturing what life might be like tomorrow. First thing you see is the monorail. And then, of course, there's Space Mountain right at the heart of uh, Tomorrowland. But the, the ride that I was most excited about, the one I was most looking forward to, was Autotopia. Because I was a 10-year-old boy, and the only thing I could think about was getting my driver's license at age 16. And so I got to drive those cars in Tomorrowland at Autotopia and had such a great time. And I got to experience a little bit of the future. Well, today is Pentecost. It is the day that the church remembers, 50 days after Easter, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And uh, there's, there's so much to say about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. In fact, I think the Holy Spirit is the, 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 the member of the Godhead that we understand the least and probably talk about the least, and that's unfortunate. But on this day, we remember his work in our lives. And I want to look at just one very small aspect, big thing, but one thing that the Holy Spirit does and that is lets us gives us a taste of tomorrow today in this letter that Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 13 he says and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation when you believed you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit, Paul says, is a deposit. We get a small taste of the world that is yet to come as the Holy Spirit comes to live within the believer, the the follower of Jesus at the moment they come to meet Jesus. Um, and, and which means that the Holy Spirit brings the life of tomorrow into today. This is one of the aspects of the work of the Holy Spirit and affects every day of, of our journey in following Christ. Um, so first, what I want us to see in this passage in Ephesians is that we're going somewhere. God has this great plan. God is taking the world somewhere. There there is a purpose and a meaning to history. God is taking us there, all right? Um, And and so there's different ways that you can look at this, but here in in, um, chapter one, Paul says this, and we pick up in verse nine. If you may have noticed, picked up in the middle of a sentence, that's because in Ephesians one, Paul has one of his famous run-on sentences. It goes on for like 452 verses, 
and it's just comma after comma after comma, okay? But he says here, and he says, he made him, Christ made, made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. So that's Paul's grand way, and it's like one of those things, there's so much packed in there, we could probably spend several weeks just on those verses, but he's talking about history, and that as followers of Jesus, we understand history with purpose and meaning. Now, that's very different from uh, how the, the before Christ, or the world apart from Christ, understands history. Now, I want you to just go ahead and admit, when you saw the marker board come out, you thought Brett was preaching today. <laughs> yeah, you did. I know how to use one of these, thank you. I actually requested a chalkboard, but the chalk kept breaking on me, so I was, okay, I'll come into the 21st century. So anyway, so in your typical pagan view of history, it's, it's, it's cycles. It's just one thing repeating itself after another. And, and you can understand how per people apart from a revelation of God would understand this because the world operates that way, the, the uh, weather does, right? We have spring, summer, fall, and winter, followed by spring, summer, fall, and winter. Spring, new birth, summer, growth, fall, uh, 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 fruitfulness, and winter, death. And it's followed by yet another cycle. And so many just assumed that life was just this cycle. Do you, do you remember that great philosophical movie, Lion King? When, when Mufasa explains death to Simba. Do you remember? And he, and he talks about, uh, that he's trying to explain him in a gentle way that we're all going to die. And he says, uh, uh, he talks about that we help feed the antelope. He says, no, Dad, we eat the antelope. He says, no. He says, when we die... Our bodies go on the ground, and it, and, it, and it makes the grass grow, and the antelope eat the grass. And he talks about the circle of life, that it's just this whole thing of birth and growth and maturing and death. That's not how we view it as Christians. Thank God that there's meaning and purpose to everything. God has a plan. He talks about this as the mystery of his will. Now, mystery in the first century meant something different than how you and I think of mystery today. We think of mystery, we use the word in English as something that's a riddle, something that's unsolved, something that's not known. That's not how they viewed it. So there are many things that are mysteries. Um, for us men, women are mysteries. My wife, after 41 years of marriage, is still a mystery to me. I remember when we got married, got our first apartment, and, and um, I brought in to the, we had a walk-in closet. I grew up in an old house, didn't have any closets, you know. Walk-in closet. And I put my three pairs of shoes in there. I have my casual shoes every day. I have my hiking shoes and I have my good Sunday shoes, you know. And Linda brings in a box of shoes, followed by another box, another box, and another. And she's putting all them there. So we're, we're in Tulsa. We're living there. I'm going to seminary. And her company she's working at is having a picnic at a resort. Big deal. We've never gone to anything like this, a company thing, you know. And she's in the, the walk-in closet in Tulsa, and she's going through these hundreds of shoes. And you know what she said? I don't have anything to wear. <laughs> you guys knew. You, you, yeah, I, I'm, it's a mystery to me. I don't understand that. Last month, we were talking, that was just a couple weeks ago, 
Lynn and I are talking, we're having this deep conversation, and then she asked me this question like, so random, so out of, the, out of just left field. I said, what does that have anything to do with what we're talking about? She goes, oh, there were five steps in my mind that took. You don't, want to, you don't understand all that. I said, yeah, you're right. My wife is a mystery to me, deep and wonderful. All right, um, that's not how the New Testament writers speak of a mystery. A mystery in the first century was something that used to be unknown, that used to be a riddle, but has been revealed. So at one time it was not known, but now it is. So we'll flip our handy little board over here. All right. Now, what is he talking about? He says that, that everything, the mystery is that ev- when the... He's going to, that Christ is going to put into effect everything when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth. God's goal in history is to bring everything under the lordship of his Messiah, Jesus. And that's where history is going. And so for um, um, much of human history, until Jesus, the understanding of history was this, that there's the present age, And then there's the coming age, or what might be called the kingdom of God. And that this age would end in a cataclysmic, dramatic way. The Messiah would come, boom. The dead would be resurrected with new bodies. And the Holy Spirit would be poured out. And that was how they understood history. But Paul says that in Jesus, he has revealed to us the mystery of his will. And that is a whole new approach to history, which nobody saw coming because it was a mystery. Nobody saw it coming. And that is that here in the middle of history, God sends the Messiah. He is raised from the dead. Nobody thought that one man in the middle of history would be raised and that at the end of history, the rest would be raised. But he's called the first fruits. That's an agricultural term returning to harvest. And at harvest, they would taste a little bit of the harvest and they would call that the first fruit ceremony. That Jesus would be the first fruits. And, and, and that, that, that he would come, he would be raised, and he would send the Holy Spirit. And so this age is the age that we're in now And it is called the last days. That we are now in what is called the last days. So if you have a friend who's really into Bible prophecy, I don't know if you, I went through a Bible prophecy phase in my life, you know, or just all I could think about and talk about. And they say, do you think we're in the last days? You could emphatically, enthusiastically, and confidently say, yes, we are in the last days. They began 2,000 years ago. (laughs) Seriously. With the coming of the Holy Spirit, that began the last days. And, well, remember what Peter said. He says, a day to the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So it was just two days ago. No big deal. But no, seriously, these are the last days. Now, these, still, this will conclude, this has been inaugurated, it will consummate when Jesus returns. Jesus will return and establish his kingdom. Oh, okay, enough with the history lesson. What does that mean for now? Is that the life of the age to come can be tasted and experienced now. Because the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon all flesh, 
all those who have turned, bowed the knee to Jesus, we can experience the coming age. We are resurrected with Christ. In Christ, we were made alive. Now, one day, our bodies will be resurrected, but right now, our spirit has been resurrected. Now, in this day, we have been given the Holy Spirit. Now. And so, this, change, this was the mystery that nobody quite understood. It's what a great um, theologian in the last 60, about 50 years ago coined the already, the not yet. There's, there's something of the kingdom that's already here. Jesus said, behold, the kingdom of God is among you. And then he talked, he said, pray, thy kingdom come. Well, I thought it's already here. Yeah, it's already, but not yet. It's here, but it will, it will come in its fullness. Um, and so, but right now, we get to experience it. So we're, we're already and not yet. In Ephesians 2, 8, just a chapter over, Paul says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. As a believer in Jesus, you can say, I've been saved. Some people use that language a lot. I've, I'm saved. Does that mean I, I'm, I have a relationship with God? My sins are forgiven. I know Jesus Christ. But then Paul could also say this in Corinthians. He says, um, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Notice the difference. He says, to those of us who are being saved, you're saved and you're being saved. Already, not yet. God isn't done with you. God isn't done with me. He's got an entire work called sanctification where he's making me, like, he's making you like Jesus. And that won't be finished until glorification when we see Jesus face to face. And so we're saved and we're, we're being saved. I like what one author says. We're an end time community whose members live in the present as those stamped with eternity. You live right now in the present, but your life is stamped with eternity. In fact, what God intends for us to be is a walking billboard advertising the kingdom that is to come. We should be showing others what life in the spirit is like. Because again, they didn't think the spirit would come until now. We know the spirit has already been poured out. And we can show the fruit of the spirit. We can show the gifts of the spirit. We can reveal the goodness of God because of the presence of the Holy Spirit now living within. And Paul wants us to know it's guaranteed. Our future inheritance is guaranteed now because of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at this verse one more time, verse 14. He says, the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit has been poured out. Joel, the prophet, predicted this. In fact, Peter, in his sermon on Pentecost Sunday, quotes Joel chapter 2. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Notice that there is no distinction between male and female. Both men and women get the deposit of the Holy Spirit. We are co-heirs, joint heirs in Jesus, one in Christ. And the spirit has already been poured out. Now, in the fullness, are we living in the fullness of the spirit age? No, that comes in the kingdom of God. But we get to taste, we get a little experience, and we see the working of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, 
we get to experience the life of the world to come even right now. Do you remember back in February, I had a couple warm days. I got up to like 70 degrees. Do you remember? We usually get those teaser days in the middle of winter. And you know it's not going to last, right? You know it's just a tease. You kind of enjoy it. Oh, it's so good. You get a little spring fever and you think, oh, this would be awesome. But then it gets cold again. Having the Holy Spirit now is sort of like that. We get a little taste. We get a little glimpse. And sometimes there's a pouring, there's an outpouring, a fresh outpouring. Later in this very letter, Paul will say, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that's in the present tense, which can be translated, be filled and keep on being filled. Because in this world, we leak. (laughs) We, We do not always live in the fullness of the Spirit. So he says, be filled with the Spirit. And so we, we pray every January that there would be an outpouring of the Spirit, that there would be a great awakening, because that's what happens when God gives us a greater dimension and a greater taste of the world yet to come. At Asbury University earlier this year, when the chapel service started and went on for like 19 or 20 days, 24-7, got a, it, was, it was a beautiful glimpse of the world yet to come as people were experiencing the love and the grace and the presence of God in a, in a beautiful way. And Paul wants us to know that this is guaranteed. But here, he, does, he also spends the rest of the letter helping the Ephesian believers understand that it's not without some struggle. The Christian life is a struggle. Living the Christian life is a, is a battle. And he goes on to talk about three things that will hinder the life of the Spirit. I won't go into them in depth, but I think it's worth, I would encourage you, read, read Ephesians this week and see some of the things. First off, in, in uh, chapter 4, he talks about... Um, becoming mature, going on to maturity. We talk a lot about that here at LaCroix. We call it taking your next step. And then he says this, when you do that, you'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Paul had to deal with false teaching and false prophets all the time. We have to deal with false teaching. We have to be able to discern what is true and what is scriptural and what is not. And, and, and false teaching can, can be a hindrance to our living the life of the Spirit. Then he goes on to talk about old habits. Now, he spends a lot of time in the letter talking about how the pull of the old life can keep us from living the fullness of the Spirit now. So he, he says this. I'll just read a portion. He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. One of the things that can hinder the life of the Spirit, now old habits. The old life comes knocking on the door and wants to pull us back into old ways of thinking, old ways of acting, old ways of treating others without love and kindness and grace, all of that. So that can be a hindrance. And then finally, he he mentions one other hindrance in chapter 6, and that is that we have a real enemy. And so he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We don't battle people. Even folks we may 
vehemently disagree with. But our, our struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual for- forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. And so the, the, we have an enemy that wants to keep us from experiencing the spirit in his fullness right now. And by the way, we got to keep that in mind. I, I, one of the trends I think is so alarming in the church today is that we often look at people who believe differently or act differently or live differently than us as the enemy. Friends, they are not the enemy. People are not the enemy. In fact, if you're not careful, if you don't keep, look, we, there are real demons and there's a real devil and he's the real enemy. And if we don't keep him the focus of our opposition and our prayers, we will demonize people, which we're never told to demonize people. There are real demons. And Paul says, put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can, you can keep on tasting that life of the age to come right now and live in the fullness of the Spirit. So we're going somewhere. History's got a goal and a plan. It's all going to be summed up in Christ, and Jesus will return and bring heaven to earth, and heaven and earth will be one as it was in Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, it's guaranteed because he's given you the Holy Spirit as a deposit. It's like, oh, there's a lot more to come. You're just getting a taste. You're just getting a little bit of a taste of what that age is going to be like. It's going to be glorious. And he does this all because who we are and whose we are. Um, in, um, in verse 13, he says this, and you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Paul uses an image here, an illustration. Back then when people would send letters, they would often seal them with wax and they drip some wax, and then they would take their ring, which was often a family ring. It would have some symbolism representing their family, and they would press the ring into the wax to say, this is my letter, and it's destined for the person who's written on the, on the outside of the letter. It's mine. Look at that beautiful thing. He says, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. In the next verse, he talks about us being God's possession. With the seal of the Holy Spirit, you belong to God. God claims you as his own. Were any of you fans of the movie Gladiator? Yeah, I love Gladiator, Russell Crowe. And uh, you remember he had a tattoo on his arm, SPQR, that's Latin meaning um, uh, uh, belonging to the Senate and the people of Rome. He was stamped as a Roman soldier. But he didn't belong to himself, he belonged to the Senate, to the people of Rome. You, my friends, when you met Jesus, you were somehow mysteriously sealed. And God claims you as his own. Father uh, Cantalamesa is the personal preacher to the Pope and an inspiring man. And he, he says this in his book about the Holy Spirit. He says, we carry a mark in the deepest part of our being, a mysterious seal engraved by the fire of the Holy Spirit, a royal seal. Your life is, is sealed with a royal seal, God claiming you as his own. And you know what? God claims you as, as his own even on your good days and on your bad days because you're his and he's going to hold on to you and he's going to love you to the end fully and completely because you're sealed. You're his. 
when I, when I was a kid, we, we played a lot of pickup games of uh, baseball. Normally, we played with tennis ball. In St. Louis, we called a fuzzball, okay? And uh, every once in a while, though, we'd get adventurous and use a real baseball. So we played in a, uh, just down the road, just a couple houses down from me was this uh, um, big office and it had a huge parking lot. We played out there and it was like a kid's dream house. I mean, it was awesome. It was walled and, and, and if, if, if you hit the ball on the ground past the pitcher, you got a single. If you hit the wall, you got a double. If you landed on top of the wall, that was a triple. And then there was a fence beyond the wall. If you hit over that, you got a home run. So one day I'm, I'm batting and I got a hold of it, man. I, I hit this baseball all the way over the big wall, all the way over to the fence and through this really big window on the house right behind the fence. <laughs> And there was this sickening, crashing sound. And my buddies are with me, scattered to the four winds. And I'm running home too. And then as I'm running home, I'm thinking, oh. I had this kind of nerdy habit with my, my property, especially my baseballs. I'd write my name on it. <laughs> and my address. And my phone number. So I'm thinking, yeah. So I go back to the house, knock on the door, and I had to pay a lot of money for that window, let me tell you, but I got that ball back because it was mine. <laughs> God is going to get you back. He's going to bring you to his kingdom because you belong to him. And even when you mess up, the enemy's going to come along and say, I've gone too far. God doesn't love you anymore. That's a lie. He claims you as his own. It's guaranteed. You belong to him. You belong to him. Um, if you're a Chosen fan, I am. I love the series, The Chosen, that's finished season three. My favorite episode to this day is season one, episode one, story of Mary of Magdala. And at the end, how this woman, that the New Testament tells us, fill, filled with seven demons, encounters Jesus, and Jesus quotes Isaiah 43, one to her, don't fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. And he lays his hands on Mary and he heals her and she collapses into his arms and she, that day, became a new person. And same thing when you gave your life to Jesus. You may not have had seven demons living in you, but the darkness was there and Jesus cast it out. And he filled you with light, glorious light. And, and he gave you the Holy Spirit the moment you believed, the moment you bowed the knee to Jesus, the Holy Spirit came to live within. And that's God's promise saying, the best is yet to come. I'm going to give you a taste of the future life right now. I'm going to give you a taste of the world to come right now. Because it's going to get amazingly better later. Because you're my child. And I love you. And um, Jesus loves you. And he longs to know you and to fill you with his spirit. So I ask you, are you sealed with the Holy Spirit? If, if you've given your life to Jesus, absolutely the answer is yes, even whether you don't feel like it or not. But if you've not been, it's as simple as saying yes to Jesus, turning to him and saying, I, I want to be yours. In fact, in just a moment, we're going to gather around the table of the Lord, we're gonna to come to receive communion and maybe you haven't received communion in a long time, this is your moment. This could be your moment to say, I'm giving my life to Jesus and God will meet you here. That's why we call it communion. This is your opportunity to commune with God. To maybe for some of you to meet him for the first time. For others to be reacquainted with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the mystery of your will. 
that you're summing up everything in Christ, that, that our lives matter, that history matters, that the world is going somewhere even when it all seems so random and haphazard. You have a plan and you will carry out your plan. And today, we get to experience the gift of your spirit. We get to experience the taste of the life to come. And so thank you for that. Thank you for, the, thank you for this day, this Pentecost Sunday, when we remember, when we remember the gift of the Spirit, this deposit guaranteeing for us our inheritance, which is kept in heaven for us. Thank you, Jesus. And for those who would want to say yes to you, give them courage, Father, to open their lives to you today, even, even now. In Jesus' name. If you enjoyed today's message, make sure to subscribe to this channel. Feel free to share this with others that God has put on your heart. To learn more about LaCroix Church or to find your next steps, head to lacroixchurch.org. Thanks again for checking us out, and we hope to see you soon.